as you know, we've been going through Acts now for, for a, a while, and um, Andy was here with us last week, uh, preaching on earlier on in chapter 15, and, uh, and we're just going to continue picking up um, from verse 36. But um, what, what the part in the story that we're embarking on now is the second missionary journey of Paul. Okay, so this is, if you like, this is uh, Paul's missionary journey. Got a little graphic here. Paul's missionary journey, season two. Um, if, if, if this was the box set, this would be season two. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I, I love a good box set, and I tend to find that the second season is, is often the best. Uh, you know, it's kind of taken off, and it's like really reached its, its peak, and it starts to go downhill perhaps in the third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh seasons. But the second season is often the one um, that's, uh, that's the peak. And uh, so similarly here, what we've got in store over the next few weeks is uh, new adventures, new places, lots of new characters, and uh, a lot of drama. And significantly in the story of Acts, what we have is a huge um, significance for this, the expansion of the gospel. Uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at um, over the next few, few weeks, which is, which is great. The backdrop of what we're going to be looking at today, um, so this is the previously on Paul's missionary journey bit. Um, so the previously on, um, in Acts 15 and the, be- the beginning of that chapter, verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So the backdrop to this whole sort of episode is that you've got these people who are coming in, they're starting to teach these new churches. Remember, these are churches which have got Jewish background believers and what we call the Gentile background bang believers, um, who, remember, these, these were two groups of people who were very, very hostile to one another, who didn't mix, who didn't have friendships with one another. They were very hostile from different sides of the tracks. And obviously Christianity came out of uh, Judaism, so the Gentiles were seen as, as these people who, who weren't included. What they were starting to learn in the early church was that God was, was, was going to uh, draw the Gentiles in as well. They were going to be saved. They were going to be added into this church. But there were some of these people who were saying, no, 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 you've got to be circumcised, you've got to obey the law of Moses, or you cannot be saved. And that's the backdrop here. The early church was starting to grapple with that very question. Is this true? Do do the Gentiles have to become Jewish? Um, So that's just an important bit of backdrop as we go through this bit now. So we'll read from uh, verse 36 then in chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And it continues in verse 16. Paul came to to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, so this is our passage that we're going to be looking at today. And what we see straight off is that 
the second missionary journey, the second season of Paul's missionary adventures starts with a little bit of drama. Okay, it starts with some tension going on, clearly here, between the main characters. The main characters here being Paul and Barnabas. Um, as we've seen, Paul and Barnabas, they are old friends. They have uh, gone on uh, many adventures together. They are brothers in arms. They've been through a lot. They, um, they, were, went, uh, they were sent out from Antioch in the, for the first missionary journey, and they went and planted churches all around Cyprus and then southern Turkey. Um, they've been through a lot together um, And yet here we see them having this kind of incredible argument, this incredible spat. What's happening here? What's the argument about? Well, Paul clearly thinks that Mark is not up to the task. He left them before. Uh, He didn't continue through with the work uh, when they were on their first journey. And and so Paul's uncompromising about this. He thinks, no, 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 we need people we can rely on. He's not up to the task. We don't want to take him. Barnabas, on the other hand... He may have a conflict of interest here because Mark is actually his cousin, okay, so they're related. We also know Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. He's probably there thinking, oh, come on, let's give this guy a chance. He's worthy of a second chance. Let's, let, let, let's give him the opportunity to prove himself. Let's take him along. And so that's what the disagreement is about. But the fact this conversation took place isn't really the story here. Um, it's, the, it's the nature of the conversation. It's the way that they had this disagreement. Okay, this, this thing, it probably says in your Bibles they had a sharp disagreement. The Greek word is something called paroxysmos, which apparently, yeah, well, of course, uh, you now know what it means. No, <laughs> apparently this is a word which kind of speaks of like a sudden attack or a convulsion. Um, so it kind of speaks of um, and carries the meaning of sort of a, quite, a, quite a sort of violent or a conflicting situation. It suggests kind of red faces, heightened emotions, maybe raised voices. This is clearly a sharp disagreement. This is, this is not just two friends kind of dispassionately talking about something and weighing up, you know, the best option. This is, this is actually a full-on uh, paddy that's being had here between two friends. So what are we to conclude from this? This is Paul and Barnabas. These are pillars of the early church we're talking about here. You know, should we expect that there's some kind of righteous anger going on here? That somehow, you know, one of them is justified, and so that's why they're sticking to their guns? No, this, there's only one way to explain this, really. I, and we don't know why Luke has included this information. He didn't have to include it in the book of Acts. But what we can conclude is that this was a low point in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. This was nothing short of two friends losing their rag with each other. There's no other way to kind of gloss over it or or spiritualize it or make it sound like it was okay. This was a bad situation. This was a low point and not a moment of great example from Paul and Barnabas. Okay, two friends working together in the mission. They have this big agreement. They they part company. It, it, It kind of doesn't It's not great. It's not the sort of thing that we would hope would happen. What we do see later on is that God in his grace works through that situation tremendously. So Paul and Barnabas, they they part company, they go to different places, but as a result, the gospel is taken. So Barnabas takes Mark, they go off to Cyprus, they go and strengthen the churches there. Paul and Silas go off into the other area. So we see that, that, that actually, in a way, the mission is multiplied However, it's still true to say that the bottom line is they just had an argument and it wasn't great. But what's clear from this, what what can we learn from this? What's clear from this is that they did actually resolve the conflict. We know from later on in the New Testament that 
Paul and Barnabas and Mark were reconciled. They worked through their differences. However they did that, we don't know. Okay? It's not as if they could just sort of Skype each other and, and say sorry, and that was it. They, somehow they must have met up again later on um, on their missionary journeys, and they were reconciled to one another. What we know from um, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, and this is really phenomenal when you consider what this story here. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, what we see is Paul, towards the end of his life, in a, a dungeon in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy, and what he says to Timothy is, please could you send Mark to me, because he's useful to me in my ministry. So some kind of incredible turnaround has happened by the end of Paul's life, and he now sees Mark as a useful person in his ministry, rather than a quitter who kind of runs away. Um, he, 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 he sees him, he sees him as someone who's important. We also know that um, later on in, in the story, Barnabas and Mark are with Paul, they're with him uh, in prison. So they obviously become reconciled. Okay, so here's the take-home point from this. What we learn is Christians are not perfect. <laughs> Christians are not perfect. Even great leaders, even great pillars of the church, like Paul and Barnabas, um, they can get it wrong because they're human. Arguments and disputes happen, even in the church. Okay, this is important to recognize and to know We can fall out with one another from time to time. But it's how we resolve those arguments, it's how we resolve those disputes that is the important thing. And the thing for us as Christians is that relationship is central. Our relationships with one another is central. Relationship is more important than being right. And this is so different from the world's approach. Because in the world, what we see is you have a dispute with someone. Click a button, unfriend them. That's it, gone. We don't speak to each other anymore. If you have a dispute, it's just like, well, I'm not speaking to them anymore. That's the world's approach. That's the way of doing it. Maybe carrying a grudge. Or avoiding difficult conversations, but actually harboring still resentment. That is not how we are to... um, this is not how we are to, to, to be in the kingdom. In God's kingdom, it's different. We, we love each other. We treasure one another. We, we work to resolve disputes, and we freely forgive. So let's just think about this for a moment. How can we apply this to our lives? And we have a little thing about resolving conflicts. Okay, is there any, th- is there any way which we need to work at the moment to resolve conflict with one another? Okay, just think about that. Um, I know we just, just kind of launched straight into this, but maybe just think, is there anyone you need to be reconciled to? Anyone in the church, any, anyone, any Christian, anyone in your family perhaps, anyone you need to be reconciled to? Sometimes reconciliation is difficult. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes the relationship is never fully reconciled, but the fact is there's forgiveness. We need to forgive. We need to keep short accounts with one another. In all of our relationships, this is relevant. So whether it's wives and husbands, whether it's children with parents, housemates, work colleagues, or just friends together in the church. What Paul and Barnabas, the example here, shows us is that sometimes the worst arguments can happen between the closest friends. In particular, in in a marriage situation, husbands and wives, we can cultivate, we need to cultivate healthy healthiness in our marriages we need to make sure that we uh, don't let the sun go down on our anger 
We need to make sure that we are always working to, to be humble and to forgive one another and to be reconciled to one another. And the fact is, in an argument, you might be right. That's not the point. <laughs> Most conflict comes because both parties think, think they're right, and that's the problem. And that's exactly what happened here, isn't it? They both thought they were right, and they couldn't reconcile it. But in a marriage relationship particularly, the, the relationship is more important than being right. We need to be humble. We need to learn to swallow our pride. We've said that we're going to lay down our life for the other person, and that's where the rubber hits the road in these conflict situations. So just an appeal to all of us. Let's cultivate healthy relationships with one another. Let's learn from this, that sometimes disputes happen, but it's how we deal with it, it's how we move forward that's the most important thing. Just before we move on, just, just think, is there anything I need to do right now? Is there anything, maybe not right now, <laughs> as I'm speaking, but is there anything that I need to do? Is there anyone I need to say sorry to? Is there anyone who I need to seek forgiveness from? Is there anyone I need to initiate a reconciling conversation with? So important. And God blesses it. God blesses that humility and that desire to be reconciled. And it's so much, so much better to, to clear the air. With, with unforgiveness, it can be something that eats away. Um, I've heard it said that if you forgive someone, you set a captive free, and then you realize you were the captive. Just so important, so important for us um, to, to get into the habit, to cultivate that, just, just letting go, just not holding grudges, just not, 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 not standing on our rights but being, having a forgiving attitude. After all, isn't that what God's done for us? He has not stood by his rights to judge us for our sin, but he has come and he's provided for our forgiveness. So just clock that. If there's anything you need to do, please, um, please, please do that. So this first little section then ends with a change of personnel. Paul and Barnabas, sadly, they, they part company but Paul takes Silas and the church in Antioch commend them. They say, okay, Paul and Silas, you have our blessing. Off you go. They commend and send them off. So the next section takes place in uh, Lystra. Okay, so they go to this new place. Well, it's not a new place. It's a place where Paul's planted churches before in Lystra. And they meet this new character, this, this young leader, Timothy. And there's nothing strange here uh, at first glance. Um, He's a sort of young leader. Um, he's commended by the other churches. And Paul wants to take him along with him, presumably to train him up. And because he sees some usefulness to him, he sees some potential in this guy. Perhaps he sees him as a successor to Mark. Who knows? But the big story here, of course, is not the fact that Paul meets Timothy and that he takes him along with him. It's the fact that he got Timothy circumcised in order to then take him on the rest of the journey. Okay, so remember back to the place where we started the very beginning of chapter 15, some of these teachers coming in and saying, you've got to be circumcised. The whole of the Council of Jerusalem, in fact, the whole of the book of Galatians, which Paul has written as well, is saying the exact opposite. It's saying, no, you don't need to be circumcised if you're a Gentile believer. And yet here's a man that Paul says, you've got to get circumcised. So what on earth is going on here? It seems confusing. It seems like Paul is perhaps being contradictory. Well, just to explain, the issue here with Timothy is not about his salvation, Paul doesn't meet a young man and think, ah, yes, your mother was a Jew, but your father was a Gentile, so 
you're not a proper Christian until you get circumcised. That's not what he's saying. It's not about his salvation. It's not about him needing to do this thing to become a full member of God's people. The issue here is credibility. That's what's going on here. Timothy's mother was a Jew. His father was a Gentile. Uh, And for some reason, that that meant that he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't fully initiated into the Jewish religion when he was younger. And what this would have meant to the hardline Jews that Paul was going to take him to minister to, they would have regarded Timothy as being illegitimate as a Jew. They would have seen him as not, not, not a Jew at all, not a proper Jew at all. So in order to give him good standing, to give him credibility among the Jews that they were going to, that's why Paul got him circumcised. Okay, it's an issue of credibility. It's an issue of credibility. Credibility is important in our mission as Christians. As we go out and we live our lives, as we reach out to people, as as we rub shoulders with people, as people know that we're Christians, credibility is an important issue. You've got to earn the right. The word credibility, it comes from the Latin root, it's credo, which means faith. It's about being believable. Credibility is about being believable to the people that we're speaking to. So, for us, again, just, just to, to bring it home for us, whatever situation you're in, for, for many of us there's different, very different life situations going on. Perhaps some are studying, perhaps some of us will be working, perhaps some of us will be um, kind of full-time in the home um, or in the local community. The fact is we all have one thing in common. As Christians, as those that God has redeemed and saved and brought into his family, we are all gospel ministers. You know, that every single one of us here is a gospel minister. Not just people like me who are paid by the church. We are all gospel ministers. And we've all been given this ministry of reconciliation, it says. You may not feel like that. You may not feel like I'm much of a gospel minister. You may think, oh, I hardly ever speak to non-Christians, or let alone have evangelistic conversations. Well, the fact is that that's what God's made you to be. And he wants to use you as a minister of his gospel in your sphere, whether it's in your family, in your home, with your kids, whether it's in your workplace. So the, the thing is that God makes us a gospel minister. God qualifies us. God gives us the gospel to share. God changes our life. But credibility is something that we can work at. It's something that we can, can, can do in order to kind of increase um, the likelihood of people listening to us, to be frank. That, that's what it's about. So how do we do that then? How do we uh, grow our credibility? Um, Well, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he's writing to that church, he says to them very simply, you should lead a quiet life and work with your hands. It's quite simple, really. Make every effort to lead a quiet life and work with your hands. And really, that that is how we do it. That's how we build credibility. It's about faithfulness. It's about living our lives faithfully, um, and actually doing a good job in the things that we do. It's quite a kind of simple thing, really. Imagine if you're in your workplace and, uh, you know, you spend your whole time. Let's just, just, let's just imagine you're like, let's say, I don't know, a nurse in a hospital or something. It's a busy environment. There's a lot of work to do. Everyone else is sort of working hard uh, and sort of running around doing, doing things. And you're thinking, I'm a Christian, right? I'm going to stand in the corner of the ward and I'm going to start preaching the gospel. I'm just going to start telling people, heralding the gospel to people. Now, if you do that, do you think you'll be credible? No. 
<laughs> because your colleagues are going to be, well, look, there's this ward round that needs doing, there's this person that needs their medication, there's this. You're not actually doing your job, so you haven't earned the right to do that. Yes, you're there, you're in that context, but you haven't earned the right to, um, to, 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 to preach the gospel um, to people. There's nothing worse than a, a Christian in the workplace who takes every opportunity to preach but doesn't actually pull their weight. I think we're wrong. It's important to do the, the word side of it as well. It's important to take every opportunity to share um, our faith with people as he gives us opportunities, which he does. But credibility is something that's important for us to have and we need to build that up. Do you know that um, recently the person that was voted the most credible and trusted person in the UK, do you know who it was? Any ideas? How did you guess? Because the slide has come up, hasn't it? Yep, that's fine. The big reveal was, was slightly... Uh, no, that's that that absolutely fine. David Attenborough. And, you know, in a way, when I heard that, I thought, well, that's not surprising. You know, he's had, what, 60 years odd in the public eye, and he's been doing the same thing again and again. You know, if you want to know something about wildlife, he's probably, like, your biggest authority, right? He's the person you'd go to. Um, and so he's credible. He's credible as a wildlife presenter, because he's earned his stripes. He's been around the world several times. He's, um, you know, he's, he's a phenomenal uh, wildlife presenter. Um, and so he's seen as a trustworthy individual because he's been consistent and he's been faithful, if you like, in doing his job. And that's what we're called to do as well. And just in terms of us as a church, there's a number of ways in which we kind of, I suppose, get behind this and, and commend this in the things that we do. So... Uh, many of you will know Sputnik, the um, arts kind of ministry that we do. A big part of the vision behind that, really, is that we want Christian artists to be excellent at what they do in order that they can join the conversation. You know, it's not just about, oh, I've, I've, I, I do a bit of painting in my spare time and now I can go to an art exhibition and preach the gospel to other artists. No, you've got to be good. You've got to be able to, to be good enough at what you do. You've got to have honed your skills to be good enough to be able to come to the table and actually be able to engage with the conversation that those people are having. So it is about reaching people in different spheres of society, in this case artists. But in order to do that, you've got to be credible. And in order to be credible, you've got to work at honing your art. You've got, and you've got to be good at what you do. That's what Sputnik is all about. That's part of the vision behind it. Similarly, as you know, um, I don't know if anyone received Helen Walter's letter this email letter a couple of days ago um, she's in, in Beirut with the team but you'll know that um, she's had a year now there and when people go and uh, sent cross-culturally um, really they spend the first two years learning language just learning language not really doing a lot else other than learning language just hours and hours a day and obviously that's about communication but it is also about credibility again if you're going to go and uh, reach people in the Arab world you've got to be able to speak Arabic um, and so that's what that's about Similarly with our, our social action, the things that we do to show kindness and to reach people um, who are on the margins of society, a number of things that we do in that sphere. Again, we show people that we care through our actions and our kindness first in order to then be able to have the credibility to be able to say, well, look, here's the gospel that I know. Here's, here's the God that I represent. Here is uh, the, the hope that I can share with you. And you do it with more credibility when you've actually put some actions behind it first. So it's a really important point for us. And again, just think for a moment about your, your own life. Is there anything you need to do to increase your credibility? 
um, in your sphere, wherever you are. Maybe it's just for you. You just okay. I, I need to. I need to keep working hard. I just need to keep working hard. I just need to be faithful. I just need to keep turning up to work on time, working hard, and just carrying on, being committed, just being humble, just being faithful day to day. Now, for many of us, that's that. That's what we need to do. We need to trust God uh, as we do that. But, but maybe for some of you, there might be specific things that God is bringing to mind that you know you need to do. And ultimately, in, just to f- close off on this point, for Timothy, the, the real thing that made him credible, yes, to the Jews that he was trying to reach, it was his circumcision that needed to make him credible, but the thing that really stood him out from other people, of course, was his character. Uh, Paul, Paul saw a young man who was a godly young man who had a lot of potential, and it was his character that um, was the thing that really made him credible, and that's true for all of us as well. So the, the, we now move on to kind of um, the final theme that I've got to, to draw out of this passage, really, which is the, probably the, 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 the biggest theme, really. Um, and that's that in the context here of what we've been looking at is Paul we see Paul's desire to go and strengthen the churches, to go and visit the churches. He says to Barnabas, let's go and see the churches that we planted. Let's go and see how they're doing. And we've got this letter to, from Jerusalem as well to take along. And it says a couple of occasions in this passage, this, the churches were strengthened. Well, they were strengthened and they grew in number. So that's great. That's what we see. That's the outcome of this little bit of the story. The churches are strengthened. Hallelujah. Fantastic. But let's just ask, well, what was it precisely that strengthened them? What, what, what was it? Was it, just, was it just seeing Paul again? Was it just a visit from their kind of apostolic founding father? Well, doubtless, that would have had a very strengthening uh, kind of effect in the same way that perhaps for us, if we have a visit from like a Terry Virgo or Dave Devonish or someone like that and they come to the church, it's, just, it's strengthening. I know we had Terry come and stay with us um, uh, as a church last autumn um, and it was, it was fantastic. We had a fantastic weekend with him, and it felt like we were really strengthened by that visit. And even uh, to, to, some, to a lesser degree, you know, when Jonathan comes and preaches as the person that has planted this church, you know, there's a strengthening that comes from that kind of, uh, of a visit. But also, of course, they're going to deliver this letter from the council in Jerusalem. And when Antioch received it, we heard earlier on in the, in the passage that it says that the church were glad for its encouraging message. Why was it so encouraging? Again, come back to the context. These young churches in Galatia had been confused, they'd been disturbed by these false teachers that had come in, these these Judaizers, these ones who were saying they needed to be circumcised to become Jews in order to become fully Christian. That's what it says, they were disturbed and confused by them. So these young Christians, they'd come in, they'd heard the gospel, they'd come to faith in Jesus, they'd been baptised, they'd received it. Then they'd heard a different gospel and then they were confused. They were like, what, what, are we, what is the deal here? And this was, again, the issue that the council debated and they, of course, decided that circumcision wasn't needed. So James says at the council, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles that are turning to God. Peter also kind of... Uh, makes that clear as well and so the letter as you were hearing last week the letter confirmed you don't need these extra things you are saved by faith in Jesus you don't need to be circumcised in order to be acceptable to God so the thing that strengthened these churches was was quite simply hearing the gospel again 
That was what it was. Very simple, just hearing the gospel again. They'd heard it, then they'd heard a false gospel, and then they heard the true gospel again, and they were strengthened as a result. And this is the thing, it's the gospel of Jesus, the good news that strengthens the church. And that's always true, that's always true, whatever church context, whatever situation you are in, and it's true for us as it was true for these young churches. We need to hear, we need to know, we need to remember, we need to be fed with the gospel, very, very simply. It's absolutely foundational for us. It's not a case of, well, yes, you know, you the basic truths of the gospel, you get that in, and then you go and learn some sort of deeper truth. No, 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 it's, this is it. This is, this is what it's all about. This is what we're, we're built upon, and this is what we remain built upon always. And as I mentioned, Paul had already written the book of Galatians to address this whole issue. And I think, um, I encourage you maybe to, to read this passage, and then read the book of Galatians, just read it through in one sitting, and you'll see kind of how Paul was writing into this context. Uh, Paul was addressing this very issue. He'd heard about these people coming in and telling them this false gospel. And so he was like, no, no, I'm going I'm to write them this letter to tell them, to remind them of it. And when you read the book of Galatians like that, it kind of gives you a, 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 a more clarity on it, really. And so just to reel off, here are some of the things that Paul was saying in the book of Galatians. He says to this young church, these young churches... In the gospel, we have liberty from sin and freedom from the law. Okay, so the role of the law was to make us conscious of sin. It was to bring us to Christ. We now have him, so the law's done its job. We don't need it anymore. You don't need to obey the law. You don't need to become a Jew. It's done its job. It's convicted us of sin. We now have Christ. We now have Jesus. You just believe in Jesus. You receive the Spirit. And that makes you a son of God, a son, a a child of the promise that was given to Abraham. So we can boast in Jesus. We don't need to boast in the good things that we do. That's futile. We boast in Jesus. We boast in the cross. It's the cross that's our hope. We've been crucified with Christ. So it's in him. It's it's him that lives in us now. This is the stuff. This is Galatians. This is fantastic stuff. It's just reminding us of the gospel. So... A question for us, again, just to, just to land this for us. Okay, so their issue was, do I need to become a Jew? I don't think any of us are struggling particularly with that, <laughs> that, that issue. We're all Gentiles in that sense. But this can be relevant to us as well, because it can be easy for us to also be tempted to add something to the gospel. We've received it. We know it's through faith alone in Jesus, but, but sometimes we can be tempted to add to the gospel, maybe to add good works, maybe to add a sense of, no, I need to be good in order to be accepted by God, I need, to, I need to get up and pray, I need to read the Bible, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be acceptable before God. Perhaps some of these are some of the things that we can fall into. Just a verse to you from Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 9, the writer says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And this is what we need, to be strengthened by grace. Just as these young churches were strengthened by grace, strengthened by the message of grace, so we need to have our hearts strengthened by grace, not carried off by other strange teachings. People who might say, well, you need to add to what you've heard. No, 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 it's it's grace. What might this look like for us? Well, sometimes we can feel excluded. 
as Christians. Sometimes we can feel perhaps like second-class Christians. We feel like, well, I'm not as holy as that other person, or I've, I've messed up and I'm not as good as that other person, or, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but, you know, that person over there, they are so much more going for it with God than I am. Those kind of thoughts can lead us, before we know it, we've put ourselves in a position where we're excluded. We've excluded ourselves from the grace of God. And we, and we feel like, well, how do I become acceptable to God? I need to do something to get back into God's presence. I need to do something to be acceptable to God again. And, and we've, we've fallen off. We've, we've somehow missed it. We've, we've fallen away from, from grace. It's grace that qualifies us. It's Jesus' righteousness that qualifies us, not our own. And somehow we, we, we can fall away from that. The Gentiles would have felt like this very much. The, you know, the Jews saying, well, we've got the law. You know, we, we, we've been part of God's purposes for generations. You guys are, are, are Johnny-come-latelys. You're new to this all. We're much better than you. It would have been that dynamic going on. And these Gentile Christians would have been thinking, well, are we second class? No. It's the gospel. It's just, it's just faith. Just faith in Jesus alone. That's what saves you. Maybe also sometimes you can think, about a friend, you can compare and think, well, they're from a, an amazing Christian family. They've been, had generations, maybe there's kind of five generations of pastors or something. <laughs> and, and you can think, well, I'm never going to quite be like that. Um, again, this is what these Gentile believers would have thought. They're new to it all. But it doesn't matter. It's God that qualifies us, and he qualifies us by his grace. He qualifies us by what Jesus has done on the cross. Salvation is a gift. Let's just quickly, just we're drawing to a close now, but let's just read, I just want to dip back into Acts 15 and this discussion that the elders in Jerusalem had about this whole thing. And let's see what Peter had to say. Let's just remind ourselves. So we're looking at Acts 15, uh, verse 7. It says, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did this not to discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Fantastic, fantastic speech. It just speaks right into this. It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The gift of the Holy Spirit is irrefutable proof of God's acceptance of us. If you're a Christian, you have a Holy Spirit, that's a sign. It's like God saying, you're mine, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. And I've shown it by giving you my spirit. That's my seal of approval on you don't have to do anything to make me love you anymore you are my child and I love you and here's my spirit to show it so we need to strengthen our hearts by grace morning by morning this really is a daily thing this is a daily thing for us when you wake up in the morning what's the what's the first thought you know when I get up in the morning um, last few days, this has definitely been the case as it's been a bit colder. First thing I do, I get out of bed, I put my um, dressing gown on. 
when I go downstairs. Some of us, we get up in the morning, the first thing we do is we put on a cloak of guilt and we walk around wearing it all day. That is not how God wants you to live. That is not how you have to live as a Christian. The gospel means that you can be free. You know, in Galatians, one of the most famous verses, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let's not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to law. And we have a very guilt-ridden culture as Brits, but we need to let the gospel go deeper than that. Sometimes we do mess up. Sometimes we, are, we, are, we aren't perfect. We do mess up. We do sin. But here's the thing we need to do. This is the thing we need to do. Is 1 John 1, 9-10. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's God's word to us. That's God's encouragement to us. We just need to confess, agree with God, okay, I've messed up. He will come, he will forgive us, he will cleanse us, he will set us right again. And, and, it, and it's all grace. It's all grace. We are qualified, we stand in grace on the basis of what Jesus has done. And this is the thing that we need to strengthen our hearts. When the Bible talks about the heart, this is literally my last few comments now. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the inner person, the the whole seat of your will, the whole seat of your mind, your desires, the, the place from which you really think and feel and make decisions. That's what it means when it says the heart in the Bible. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace so that everything we do, every decision we make, every, every thought, every action, every, every motivation of will is coming out of a place of grace, out of the grace of God. When and that, 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 that's something that, that's life-giving. That's something that, that fuels us when we're living in grace, when we know that we're forgiven, when we wake up in the morning and instead of putting on guilt, we can put on freedom. We can put on a sense of praise God. I'm free today. I'm free from sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Jesus Christ. So we can live in, from a new place. We can live, as it says again in Galatians, by the Spirit. We can live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. By, by trying to obey law. No, we follow the Spirit. We follow the Spirit. We, st- we keep in step with Him.